Hey everyone, I'm Mark Randolph and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, we'll prove the naysayers wrong. I've often noticed that the best startup ideas usually spring from personal frustration. You can't get a cab on New Year's Eve, or you can't make your rent, but you've got a spare bedroom, or somehow you racked up a $40 late fee on a movie rental. What they all have in common is that nagging feeling that there has to be a better way. Well, today's guest, Claudia, has had that feeling for a while. The first ever blind woman elected to public office in Colorado, Claudia knows there has to be a better way to make public transit available to people with disabilities. She's the founder and CEO of All Access Transit Solutions, which has an ambitious plan to tackle that very problem. In our conversation, we tackle a crucial part of the startup life cycle, the funding stage. Loans, investment rounds, government grants, and everything in between. Listen in and see if you think I've given Claudia the advice that can help her make that change in the world she's striving for. Well, hey, Claudia, welcome to That Will Never Work. I'm really excited we're going to get a chance to talk because I think you're trying to do something which is, even though I think I've probably heard about every possible business idea in the world, this is a little bit different. So maybe we should start by you telling us a little bit about what it is you're working on, and then maybe you can figure out some nice way to gracefully segue into what it is you might want to talk about with me. Okay, Mark, thank you very much. I want to start out by saying how thrilled and excited I am that I get to be spending some time with you today. It is a dream come true, really. I feel like I hit the lottery. My company is called All Access Transit Solutions. We are a C corporation. We're dedicated to providing products, services, and careers for people with disabilities. We do that through providing accessible technology that allows people with disabilities and older Americans to have access to on-demand microtransportation. That's important because most people in America with disabilities or even older adults have a real hard time having accessible transportation so they could go to work or go to the doctor, go to the market and live their best lives. Even unpacking that is going to take me a minute here. So first question is micro transportation. Does that mean like tiny little cars? Does that mean bicycles? What is micro transportation? We're talking about all of the different rideshare options that are available to people in general. Okay. So micro 
refers to that these are individual as opposed to buses and trains and things like that? Right, right. You see that with your Lyft and your Uber. There are many other rideshare companies, but they're also moving into the electric automated vehicle space as well. And so we think that we can bring all of those elements together and provide a great user experience and a great user interface to pretty much half of America. And you said accessible technology. Are you developing technology or is this just you trying to figure out a way to get existing technology to people? I'm really glad that you asked that question because quite frankly, that is the problem. There has never been a piece of technology that was built by and for people with disabilities from the ground up. Everything, including the vehicles. So technology isn't just our telephones. Technology is everything that we use in the built environment and in the cyber environment. But nothing has ever been built from the ground up for people with disabilities in mind. So we do have a team of software engineers, robotics, and artificial intelligence from Carnegie Mellon that we're working with and another university in New York. And I think that that team is well-positioned and robust enough that they're going to be able to build the prototype. So I need to back up even further. And just to get a sense, it's very hard to tell from your description how big, how old this company is. Is this something that you've been doing for years? Do you have hundreds of employees? Is this just you working out of a spare bedroom? So right now we're a startup. We're early stage. We're looking for angel investors. And I really don't know a lot about the funding. I know we're going to be going for some non-dilutive funding through SBIR grants, either at NSF or... I'm going to cut you off. Before you even talk about where you are in a funding stage, give me a sense of where you are in a starting to do the thing that you are talking about doing. Okay. Are you already doing it? Are you just thinking about doing it? Have you been doing it now for a month, a year, a decade? We incorporated as a C corporation a year ago. And so our team has been working to identify all of the different pieces that we need to build and work on, whether it's the marketing, the financing, the budget, the business plan, and different avenues to get streams of funding to build the company. The other piece though, that is very interesting to us. So we have a few different market segments that we're looking at in particular. The most important one up front is called paratransit. And paratransit is a federal mandate that is unfunded for every single transit agency in America. There are 2,211 transit agencies in America, and they must all provide paratransit services. You know those short buses you see people using sure. to get around? That's paratransit. And that is roughly 10% on average of an annual operating budget of a transit agency. I know that because I'm the first blind woman elected to office in Colorado and was on the board for two four-year terms in the Denver Front Range. So I know very well how much money goes into this paratransit and the kind of service and the experience that our customers have, which is lousy. And it always has been bad. And the reason it's bad is that it's a failed delivery model. It's a third party that comes in. You have a dispatch center. People have to make a reservation 24 hours in advance. They have a two-hour waiting window on either side. They get one trip a day, and it costs the transit agency a fortune. So we believe that our new model 
will provide better service, increase opportunities for people with disabilities to have better transportation, and again, reduce the cost to the transit agency significantly. Okay, cool. And you have not yet begun delivering the service or product that you plan to deliver. Correct. We're planning to build a prototype. And I still don't understand what the prototype is going to be. It's a car? It's an app. Ah, it's an app. Okay. This is the sort of technology. I mean, if you think about Clubhouse, for example, I know you do a great room on Clubhouse. The Clubhouse app developers never even considered, and they've said it publicly, that they should be building and designing this app that's accessible, and they aren't anywhere close to being accessible. There's compliance where you say, oh yeah, the boxes are checked for 508 compliance, W3 compliance, but not accessible. It's a very complicated piece because of the different kinds of things that we use to make things accessible, like voiceover technology. So this is an app that we will be working directly with our user groups to build the interface and the experience that anybody with a disability would be able to use it without a third party. Your company is going to build an app, right. which is accessible, if I can use right. that general term, mm -hmm. which allows people to do what? The initial focus is to be able to do the ride share focusing on the paratransit market. Ah, so to be able to call a paratransit vehicle for themselves. Yes. And now a quick ignorance thing. Do paratransit vehicles work on a similar model to Uber, which is that it's an on-demand system? Not at all. No, no. You call the transit agency on your phone and order it 24 hours in advance they close at 9 p.m., they open at 6 a.m., that kind of thing. So are you actually trying to change the paratransit model? Exactly. So you're going to try and convince the transit agencies to change the way they dispatch vehicles at what time and what manner using the app? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That's the initial penetration focal point of the product. Correct. We need to provide an elegant, sexy solution for people with disabilities. I don't like those vehicles either. <laughs> How many people are we? I would say offhand, we have about seven people. We have myself, I'm the CEO. We have another co-founder who is the director of operations. We have a chief marketing person, a CFO. We have legal counsel and we have our development team. How are you currently paying seven people? Well, we're all believing in it. Nobody's getting a salary yet. We're putting this as sweat. Ah, fantastic. Sweat equity. Okay. And so simultaneously, you're working on building an app as well as convincing at least one paratransit agency to change the way they dispatch. Correct. Which one of you is targeted to work with first? Well, I have a few, but I'm not able to disclose that at the moment okay. because- I understand. But you've picked one or mm -hmm. two and they're willing to do this kind of program. Right. Okay. So without even getting to your question, and I want to get to your question in just a minute, even in terms of how you present it, maybe it took me a long time to penetrate exactly what you were doing. So that would benefit from some clarity, especially with a startup. There's many things rushing through your mind. There's this vision of how the world needs to change. And it's obvious just from the conversation that you've got a very clear vision of how you want this world to change. But as you also know, there's a million things that are broken and need to get fixed. 
And the reality is that it's hard enough to fix one. So you need to really be focused in on fixing one, as well as defining which is your part of it. So it's really helpful for you to have that clarity, if for no other reason than for being able to tell people like myself what you're doing, to narrow in at least at some point, and here's where we are as we're doing. But that isn't the point. The point is that you have some additional question about what to do, where to go, how to fix something. What can I help you with specifically here? Well, what I've found is it is extremely challenging in general, I think, and what I've been learning for anyone to raise seed money, A round, B round, all of this non-diluted funding is really difficult. And I was hoping that you might be able to have some good tips or pointers and give us some ideas about where we should be looking for some funding. And really, this is a high social impact startup company. So is this company a for-profit company? It is. Okay, fantastic. The fact that it has social impact is wonderful too, because it certainly puts it in a different category. But the most important thing to recognize when you're fundraising is that people who are going to give you money have varying expectations for what happens next. And you have to be even more explicit about that than you are with someone like myself and trying to describe what it is you're working on. Having that real clarity on what happens next is critical to this next step. And I think I can guess what it is. But for example, a lot of people who are doing things which have social good are doing it purely for social good, which means you need to find people who are willing to invest money with little or no expectations they're ever going to see it again. That isn't the purpose of their investing model. Their investing model is they want to see change in the world. They see you as a potential change agent for it and they want to help you along in your path. And that sits in various continuums on this nonprofit spectrum. And I've done some work in the not-for-profit world as well. The for-profit one is fairly transparent in their expectations of this. Anyone who gives you money wants it back. And they don't just want it back, they want it back times 10 or hopefully times 100 or maybe <laughs> if it's amazing, times 1,000. And the reason they want it more than just back, that they want it maybe at least 10 times what they gave you back is because they realize that for the 10 companies they give it to, nine of them are going to fail to do anything with it. And they're counting on that one company to pay back all the other failed investments. And of course, they don't know in advance which of the failed investments. So all of them have to go in with this expectation that if they make it, they might make enough to pay back the fund, even if the rest of the investments in the fund underperformed. So what you're pitching is, yes, partly something which does social good for the world. And absolutely, there are investors who are motivated, who love the fact that the money that they're going to be investing will be going not to go into a company that has developed a stick that when you light it and fire it and inhale it, it gives you cancer. And they're delighted they're investing not in a company which has figured a better way to extract fossil fuel from the ground and burn it. They're delighted to be investing in a company which is doing something which will make the world a better place. But they have expectations for financial return and they need to see that piece of it. So you have to be really, really careful that when you're making your presentation for money, you balance the things you tell people with those two different expectations in the appropriate balance. Okay, that sounds great. You cannot go in about how great this will be for people with disabilities, how important it is, how desperately needed this is to help people with disabilities. Yes, you certainly can and should say that, but it has to be in proportion to, and here is why this is going to make sufficient money that you'll find a way that I, 
as the CEO, will take responsibility to find a way at some point in the future to not just return your money, but return it with a very, very large multiple so that you've gotten the double whammy of made money for your fund, for your limited partners, for yourself, whatever the objective of the investor is, as well as we've helped save the world. But you've got to have both of them. You cannot just go in with the social impact piece of it because what you will get is, that sounds great. I'm glad you're doing this. Let me go find someone from the nonprofit sector who's willing to lose all their money on this. I'm not. Mm -hmm. So with that said, assuming I'm on the right track with giving you some advice, which is somewhat in the right direction. Oh, it sounds great. I'll go a bit further and say, let's now talk about what it is you need to demonstrate to someone to give them the confidence of this. Okay. Each of these rounds, and you kind of rattled off, you have this reasonably good understanding that there's a series of investment phases here. Usually a seed or angel stage goes first, then you might go to an A, then a B, then a C, then a D. Each of those represents, whether they're labeled that or not, additional investment to each time represent an incremental proof point in your journey. So the second thing you have to do is recognize what is the risk that I'm asking my first set of investors to take? What are we really trying to prove together? And you need to be really clear, not only that they understand it, but that you understand it, that you truly know what the risk here is. Mm -hmm. Let me give you some examples. Right now you have no money at all, which is wonderful. And you have seven people who are all working because they're mission driven. Wonderful. Okay. Which means that you have something that a lot of startups don't, which is you have some bandwidth to actually make some progress to develop some proof points that you can lay out for your first set of investors. Let's talk about some of the things that your investors may question. You come in, you pitch, they all nod in the right places. You leave the room. Let's imagine what it is that they're going to go, oh, this will never work. Here's why. <laughs> okay. I'll give you a couple of them, okay? Mm -hmm. One is, oh, the, her entire model is based on getting these two paratransit contracts. I have experience in the public sector. That's gonna take them three years. They're gonna go broke long before they get that signed in the dotted line, okay? That's one objective. Another one could be, oh my gosh, they're trying to develop this app. I don't believe they can get the technology to work. I don't believe they can get it widely accepted. I don't believe, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe that their revenue, let's say their revenue model depends on taking a piece of the fee for each time someone books a ride. Whatever the, I'll come back, I'm curious what the business model actually is. Let's say you go, it's based on getting a dollar stipend back from the paratransit every time we book a ride for them. And our numbers say that we'll get 600,000 rides in the first year. They go, no way. They're not going to get that many people. They're not going to ride that frequently. In other words, they're going to begin questioning your assumptions. All of those are valid things. All of that is stuff that's going to go through an investor's mind. So what your job is, is before you even go in, to have answered as many as you can and be acknowledging about what you don't know and what you plan to prove using their money. And I'll give you a couple of examples, and then we'll try and make it more specific to your exact case. The most recent company that I was involved in starting, which is Looker, which is an analytics software product. And the company came about because my friend Lloyd, who's a genius technologist, had invented this really clever way to do analytics in a different way than it had been done before. Before we went to the very first VC to raise money, we said we need to demonstrate two things. One, that the software works. 
And so Lloyd spent a year making sure the software worked by himself with one person helping him before we raised any money because we didn't want to say, imagine how cool it would be if I could make this work. We wanted to say, we've demonstrated that it works. The second question we knew people would ask, which is why would somebody want this? And so we went out and we sold it just by ourselves, just Lloyd and me, and got three or four customers to prove they're willing to pay for it. Because then when we went in to pitch, we were able to say the software works, the technology, we've proven that, we can show you. Even more importantly, we know we've built something that people are willing to pay for because we have three paying customers. This money is going to go toward the following. What we're going to prove next is that we have a repeatable, scalable sales model that we can reproduce the selling aspects of it. All the money was laid out saying, here's how much money it is. Here's how it'll get spent. It'll last us X months because once we've proven this, we have to prove this next phase. And then the series B is proving this next phase. And series C is a next phase. Each one's a stepping stone. Let's assume that your fundamental tenet of your business model is getting the pair of transits on board. So one way to go in and pitch it is say, once I have three transit agencies on board, the contracts will be for $2 million a year apiece. All I have to do is close them. So this initial funding round is going to support us while I close those deals. It's very clear now what the risk is. The risk is, can I close those deals? An investor might do due diligence. They might call up the transit agencies. They might try and find a domain expert who understands what it's like trying to sell into transit agencies to get some sense of whether they think you and your team can actually pull this off. Or you sidestep it and you go, I'm going to close the deals before I ask for money. And now I walk into my investors and I go, look what I've accomplished. I have closed three deals. They're all counting on me launching the service six months from now. And if I do, they're willing to pay the following. Now you've said the risk is, can I launch the service in six months? In other words, it's being very clear what it is you need to prove and what happens if you prove it and what the money will go toward. In that scenario that you just said, it was like shifting the risk from them to me. Whereas if I get the 2 million from them, they're hoping I'm going to close the deal in six months. Whereas if I close it now and ask for the money, I hope I'm going to get it in six months. So I'm also shifting a little bit of the risk back to me. You have the contract and now the risk isn't, will they sign a deal? No, I've already taken that risk off the table. But now we have a new risk, which is that they've signed this deal contingent on me being able to have my app ready in six months. So now the investors go, okay, what's the likelihood that Claudia can pull this off? But you could also go in and say, I've got my app built. My app works. I now have three signed contracts from three change agencies. Now the risk is we're assuming that we can do X rides in the first six months. Now they're betting, can we scale up that fast? Then the risk might go, oh, well, these first three contracts were easy because these are all suburbs of Denver and she knows people. How scalable is this? Is she going to be able to close deals in Austin and San Francisco where they may be less sensitive to these issues? That's another risk. And that could be the Series B risk where you're crushing it in your three trial paratransit regions. And this happens all the time. A company that I worked with launched this really innovative service in San Francisco. We proved that it worked. We had all these great metrics. We knew what our acquisition costs. We knew what our churn rate was. We knew what our lifetime values were. But the investors go, well, yeah, you managed to launch it really successfully in San Francisco. It's all early adapters there. They're all geeks. Your business plan says you're going to roll this out to 12 additional cities. How do I have any idea 
whether the same thing will happen. And you go, that's the risk. That's the Series B risk, is that if we pull this, it's going to cost us $5 million to $10 million, whatever the number is, to roll it out to 10 additional cities. And then once we do that, then the risk will be for the Series C, can we do it internationally? There's always a bigger risk ahead. Your idea is to be clear, what's the next challenge you're going to try and overcome and be really clear. Here's what I don't know. I'm confident I can do it. It's not a sure thing. And that's what makes it called venture capital. They're taking risks to venture. That was helpful. That was really helpful. The more you can do up front, the better, obviously. Because back when I was a lad, back in you know 1997, 98, when Reed Hastings and I were going around pitching Netflix, I'll be the first to say there was a ton of hand waving. There was imagine, if you will, and just imagine what will happen if we can disrupt an eight billion. But you had to use your imagination because there was just no way to demonstrate this because to do what we were opposing was really hard. You want to do an e-commerce website, you had to write it. If you wanted to distribute the web pages, you had to buy your servers and put them in a closet and wire them yourself. You want to take payments, you got to write the payment portals to the bank. And now, of course, you can do all those things in an afternoon by using Amazon and PayPal and Shopify, respectively. It's much easier now. And so now you can't go in waving your hands and saying, imagine if you will. You have to go in saying, look at what we've found out. Look what we've proved. Look how confident we are this will work. Here's what we're looking for your money to prove next. And that's what I think you have to do. That sounds really good. Now I'm going to tie this back to what you initially started with, which was walking me through where it took me a long time to figure out what the hell you were doing. You've got to make it really clear that you can clearly articulate what you're doing for whom and why and do it in a focused way. And you've got to be focused. You don't need to change the world in your first meeting. You need to say, there's a big problem here. Here's the first step. We're very focused on taking this first step because we need to prove to you that it works. So we're going to solve a very narrow problem. We're going to solve the paratransit problem. We're going to solve it in two communities. We're going to do it in a very limited way. We're only doing it for this one subset of the disabled community. But, and this is a very small part of your presentation. This is where you try and trigger the greed reflex. You go, if it, I can get it right in these two if I can prove that my assumptions are correct in these two paratransit regions, there's 374 other regions in the country to expand to. And there's 221 other countries with the exact same problems. And if I can address the needs for this category of disability, I can also triple the market by expanding to this one. And once I've figured out paratransit, it's even bigger once you begin moving into rideshare. But if you start in reverse, it's like, oh, the hubris of this crazy lady coming yeah. in and saying she's going to take her team of seven volunteers and disrupt the world in one fell swoop. Next. Right. Okay. That's really helpful. Focus, 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 clarity, clarity, clarity. And what they're looking for from you is they're going to take all the numbers that you give them and they're going to cut them in half. They're going to take all the timelines you give them and they're going to double them. They're going to take the amount of money you ask for and say she's going to need twice as much. What they're looking for is, does this woman have her hands on the wheel? Does she understand what she's getting into? Does she really understand the complexity here? Does she know what the real risks are? Does she truly understand when she says this is easy, that it is easy? That's the most important thing to signal to someone when you're ready to begin asking for money. And one last thing, you can do a hybrid thing here, which is, I'm the master of the analogies, which make no sense to anyone but me. 
I'm following. <laughs> I happen to have parked in my barn a really old caterpillar tractor. It's like a 1928 crawler, like, you know, has tracks. It's this beautiful old piece of machinery. And this old piece of machinery runs on diesel because back in 1928, it was really easy to find diesel because diesel is kind of a dirty fuel. It doesn't need to be refined as carefully, but diesel's very hard to start. This Caterpillar tractor has two fuel tanks. It has a very small fuel tank, which is used for gasoline, which was very rare and very expensive. And what you did was you started the tractor with gasoline because gasoline starts very easily. And you ran with that for three or four minutes for the engine to warm up. And then you turn a valve and you shift over to kerosene. For someone who has a social mission-driven for-profit organization like your own, you might want to start by finding someone to kickstart you who does not have the profit expectation. I like that. And say that you're looking for a grant. You're looking for someone to help get you over this first hump of funding you just for the first six, 12 months while you finish the app, while you finalize the contracts with the paratransit organizations, while you actually perhaps run this thing on a very limited scale as a beta for a couple hundred people just to learn about things like usage, times of day, tolerance for varying degrees of consumer experience so that then when you do sound ready to ask for money, you're way, way more dialed in. The more dialed in you are for the for-profit people, the better you'll do. That makes good sense. And I was thinking about approaching the government. We have a lot of grants available through the SBIR, Small Business Innovation Research Programs, at places like NSF or DOT to sort of start that grant funding to kind of get things going a little bit. Yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. And to some degree, to the fact that you can form a public-private partnership would be a very, very powerful um, business model. Because, you know, Ultimately, all you're really trying to do is find who is aligned with your cause. And to the degree that you will make money from this venture, then yes, investors will be aligned with your cause. But to the point that you have lots and lots of other people who are similarly motivated to provide increased levels of service to the full range of members of the community, they don't always have the for-profit motivation behind them. And if you can figure out a way to tap into those resources at the same time, then you've built an even more powerful engine for accelerating yourself. Right. I mean, we really want to do well by doing good. Fantastic. And I think it's a wonderful, wonderful business to be in. You get to solve all these incredibly interesting problems. You build a collection of supporters from across the spectrum. And as you said, you get to do something which you know is ultimately helping people. And that certainly is a wonderful feeling. Well, you know, I'm blind and I don't drive. So it's a little personal. <laughs> Absolutely. And those are some <laughs> of the best problems to solve because you certainly understand the problem intimately. Mm-hmm. As I've said, it's way more important to fall in love with the problem than it is to fall in love with the solution. So you're starting <laughs> out, love that. just be flexible about how you actually go about as long as you keep yourself focused on what problem you're really trying to solve and allow yourself the latitude to abandon whatever crazy ideas turn out to not work. You'll make progress a lot, lot faster. Well, that's really helpful, Mark. I sure appreciate your time. And I've been taking notes and I'm looking forward to implementing your suggestions. Well, Claudia, I certainly, more than most actually, really, really wish you success with this one. I will check in with you though, in maybe, I don't know, six or nine months and just see, A, if any of my advice resonated or helped, but also to see about what progress you've made. I'm really curious to know uh, how this goes. So we'll check in later. Well, great. I'm excited for that. And I look forward to sharing some great big stories to tell you. 
Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, Claudia. Good luck. Good luck to everyone on your team. Keep plugging away. I love it when someone can take their own personal frustration and turn it into a solution. And with Claudia's extensive knowledge and unique insight, not to mention her track record for overcoming obstacles, she should be able to get the funding she needs. When we speak next, I look forward to hearing how much closer she is to bringing all-access transit to fruition. So that's all for today's show. I want to thank our guests for entrusting their business with me for a bit, and I look forward to hearing back from them in a few months to see if my advice helped. But if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work and get help with your business issues, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest. Fill out the form and leave a voice message there right on the site. While you're there, sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph. Or on Instagram at that will never work. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to smash that like button. And leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Audiation.